Hi, everybody in podcast land and also on YouTube. I'm James. I'm David. What is O'Reilly, really? And this is the Carpool Critics Movie Podcast, where today we're talking about the 2006 first from Roland movie, The Prestige. <gasps> Spoiler alert! <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> Sound just like Christian Bale. <laughs> the reason we're doing this now is because we're trying to get hyped up for the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet, but it's been delayed again till August 12th. No! Anyway, David, I normally ask you what you'd give this movie out of 10, but actually I want to do you last. Let's start with Riley. What? No, yeah. you can't start with me. Well, I'll start with me then. Okay. A tale of obsession and revenge, the prestige is gripping from fade in to a curtain drop with some extra sleight of hand that's so meta it'll saw your brain in half. Ah! Nine out of 10, I... Freaking love this movie, man. Nine out of ten. I love it. Stop smirking, David. I love this movie. Dang, it's dude. A nine. That uh, that really painted a picture there. I felt like I was in a magician's show. I thought, you- I thought I was in a car <laughs> listening to this podcast, imagining David, <laughs> who I've never seen before, smirk. Should I go now? <laughs> yes. This is my slogan. Anyone who willingly steps into a teleporter is an idiot. Same goes for a <laughs> duplication machine. You are possibly killing yourself so your clone can live. Do not do this. And when you're in a Christopher Nolan movie, always listen to Michael Caine. Except in Interstellar. He's a bad guy. Eight out of ten. Not nine. Man, you just spoiled a movie for which there was no spoiler alert. Wow. We did a spoiler alert, didn't we? It's okay. He's not a bad guy. He's a complex human. Oh, whoops. Sorry, guys. (laughs) You should have seen Interstellar by now. (laughs) Uh, I was on such a good streak of positivity. Oh, what? The Prestige is an incomprehensible mess presented as a series of shaky cam medium close-ups. 5.8 out of 10. <laughs> Leave the and room. And that's with what a one-point boost because the about? end is good. What? Leave the room. This movie is so silly. It's so stupid. I know. I'm not ready for another one of these. Days. I didn't want this either. I was <laughs> hoping you guys had seen the light and realized that this movie is beyond silly, beyond believable. What, what are you talking? Okay. I have, okay. Oh. Stop. 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 All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's settle huh. down here. Whew. Okay, we're gonna we're... not let you talk about those negative things for a while. Jeez. First, I don't normally say this, but for this episode, I really think that if you're interested in this movie. You really should go and watch it before you listen to this episode. Yes, this, I think that's fair. I think this movie, I don't care what David says, I think this movie is so sweet that you really should just go and enjoy it and not have it spoiled for you because it has like twist after twist. It's so sweet. Lots of twists. So twisty. Very guys. contrived. <laughs> okay, let's David. get into it now. Okay. What's this movie about? What so, happens? So, Robert Angier and Alfred Borden are magician's assistants in London at the end of the 19th century. When Angier's wife dies during a botched illusion, he blames Borden, setting off a vicious rivalry which sees the two performers sabotaging each other's performances. Fingers are lost. Legs are broken. Hot assistants played by Scarlett Johansson are stolen. In the search for the secret to Borden's trick called the transported man, Angier asks the Nikola Tesla to build him a teleportation machine, but all he gets is a lousy duplication machine. No one wants those. Then Tesla pieces out. When Borden goes backstage at Angier's show, he finds Angier locked in a water tank and is arrested for his murder. But it's revealed that not only is a duplicate of Angier still alive, but Borden is actually two twin brothers posing as the same man. After Angier takes custody of Borden's daughter, the surviving twin shoots Angier in the storage warehouse containing all of Angier's dead duplicates. This is getting real confusing, guys. Rescues his daughter and rides away into the sunset. And that's why you don't play with the forces of the occult. That's the moral of the story. I don't really like this movie, but why don't we start with things that I do like about it? Yeah, I like to start with positivity, but first... Ah! 
a message from our sponsor, Private Internet Access VPN. Oh. PIA helps you hide your true IP address so you can bypass geo restrictions and censorship. You can connect up to five devices at once, and it includes an internet kill switch. <laughs> If your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily, PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, and even has a cut dang Chrome <laughs> extension, Lauren. So check it out at lmg.gg slash carpool PIA. That was me beginning getting electrocuted, obviously. It was on theme. Ah. Yeah, sorry. I had to explain. Oh, yes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Let's get into the stuff that I think is good. And I think that the ending is very strong. I think that the idea of someone willing to kill themselves over and over in the pursuit of their obsession is like an incredibly strong image and is it really works in the context of this movie. Mm. Yeah, that that it was pretty badass when he he teleports, he sees that he has a copy of him. They look at each other and for all all we know, they're the same dude. They both were the they were the man who stepped in. There it's not like there's a lesser copy. There's no you couldn't say which one of them is the real one. They're both the real one. Yeah. And they both know, they see the gun. They knew that I left that gun sitting there, and then that one guy was farther away from it. It's like, shit. <laughs> See, I didn't love that. I, I, I think I, it annoys me that Angier is like more or less the protagonist of the film, but he's like a completely unlikable character. So I, 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 I usually really don't love stories where it's like, we're going to get into this later, but like the theme for me here is kind of similar to Whiplash, where it's like you just kill yourself and kill yourself to be really good at entertaining people like what's the point like uh, quote unquote yeah, art I hate like that speech. it's just a it's a stupid moral to me and uh I, not necessarily saying that that's the moral of the story but i i it didn't i didn't he love He is the ending. protagonist and it's a tragedy the yeah. story is his just like descent into obsession over trying to be the yeah. best um, and i think that but i think that normally i can watch a tragedy and i'm like all right, this is sad. It's supposed to be a cautionary tale, but the fact that they are both kind of fighting each other the whole time and Borden is positioned as sort of like the bad guy for most of the movie and then it kind of like starts to shift at a certain point. Yeah, you're rooting for Borden by the end, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to stick on things that are positive, though. Okay. I like the beginning. I thought the beginning uh, was masterful. No, it's not. That's what? the wrong word. Try again. Bring, him, bring no, me back. Let me explain why I think it was, yeah. it was so good. I was just captivated and I was like pausing it being like, Oh, did they do this in the edit, or did the screenplay actually write out how awesome this is? Oh, bring bring me back. I forget exactly what the the ending is or the beginning is. The beginning is the explanation of how a trick, yeah. a magic trick, is set up. So you hear Michael Caine narrating, which is always a treat, Lovely. and he's telling you how a magic trick has three parts. Yeah, there's the pledge, which mm-hmm. is the the beginning, the setup. Then there's the turn, and then there's the prestige. And while he explains this, you're seeing kind of parallel imagery of magic tricks. You're seeing one ordinary magic trick where Michael Caine's character Cutter, John Cutter, is uh, yep. he's he's do, performing a magic trick in front of a little girl of like making a bird disappear. And that's an ordinary kind of thing that we understand intercut with what we will later see is Hugh Jackman and Jay's characters like big masterful uh, magic trick with involving this Tesla machine where he gets like teleported and stuff. And we're seeing um, Christian Bale's character Borden like go backstage and find like this water tank and he's smashing it. And we don't, yeah. we don't understand these images, no but they're, they're super intense. Yeah. Uh, and then on, on top of that, we also see a pile of ordinary top hats. And this is actually uh, kind of going back to what I was saying last episode about, remember we were talking in the Guardians of the Galaxy episode about premise delivery and mm-hmm. how you want to have imagery in your movies that could only happen in that particular movie? Yeah. 
Well, one way I learned this from a screenwriter, Jimmy George, shout out, bro. Um, one way to, to make sure you're doing that is to take ordinary imagery, something totally basic that really is inert in a normal context. But in the context of this movie, it really has a lot of meaning and power. Mm. And that's what they do with this pile of top hats that you have no context for. You're like, why are there a bunch of top hats in the woods? There's but a then hat factory. By the end of the movie, you know that they've been testing and not understanding this teleportation machine yeah and then you find out that actually the machine is working it's just duplicating these top hats in a location that randomly in the woods and there's a pile of them you could make a killing as a top hat salesman so you see this you see this stuff at the beginning you're like i don't know what that is but i've seen movies so i know this is gonna be important later but by the time it's revealed later you just totally forgot (laughs) i've seen movies before you're like, you yeah. know when you're watching and you're yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm going to yeah. predict oh. it like five minutes before it happens. And then when they come back to the hats later, you're like, oh yeah, the hats. You got me again. The hats <laughs> in the forest. That's what this uh, movie should have been called. But the th- reason it's particularly cool in this movie is that this movie itself is a trick. Mm. And so the pledge, Michael Caine explains, is when the magician shows you something ordinary. Indeed. And that's the moment that the director, Christopher Nolan, is showing us these ordinary hats. That's one of my... And f- then the movie does have a turn. It has several twists. It has this crazy reveal. And um, just as Michael Caine explains, it's not enough to make something disappear. You have to bring it back. And right. that's exactly what happens with the main characters. The, the one Borden twin gets hanged and dies, but then the other Borden twin reveals himself to still exist. He gets brought back. The audience is like, whoa, I'm in a big, crazy meta storm where I'm watching a magic trick. <laughs> I thought it was just great. I like how you started out just wanting to describe how the beginning, you like the beginning, and you just went through the whole movie. <laughs> oh, here's another thing I like about the beginning. <laughs> okay. After we see that uh, big explanation that we don't understand about how tricks work, yeah, it goes from that to a courtroom. And that's mm. where we're setting up the framing de- device. A framing device is like when a story's being told, like in this movie, it's people reading through books. Right. Th- this movie is an epistolary, which is like when... Oh, man. Okay. We're getting into terms. Here's the definition. <laughs> an epistolary is a story where the story is being told to you through like notes and shit. So like right. if you read Cat's Cradle by uh, Kurt Vonnegut, in that book, there's all these weird lines on the page that show us that, like, this paragraph was written on this little, like, piece of paper from the trash. Right, And this paragraph is, like, written from here. Or there's other books that are just, like, um, two characters writing letters to each other or something. Right, and much of this movie takes place, it's being narrated by one guy reading the other guy's diary and then the other guy reading the other guy's notebook and stuff, so, yeah. And the framing device in this movie for them reading the notebooks is, he's in jail. Right. Okay. And the other guy's on a journey. It's nested. He, uh, Borden is in prison reading the notebook that yeah. Angier, Angier wrote. Yeah. In that notebook, Angier mm-hmm. is describing reading Borden's notebook yes. that Borden planted for him. So the audience kind of gets the end result. Holy of, like, crap, hearing... this movie's Inception. <laughs> <laughs> it's Inception. Nolan Inception. certainly likes his nested narratives and like that. I mean, okay. I will say that one of the because we're still on ta- we're still talking about things awesome. we like. So the thing that I really like is something that James kind of alluded to is that the fact that this movie is itself an allegory for magic tricks and it's a it points to how Nolan views the filmmaker as sort of a magician and illusionist, right? You're you're spending all this time creating this elaborate setup in order to guide the audience through this experience and it definitely does that. I mean like I the, I remember the first time seeing this movie there's so many twists. Like, I think it's easy to watch it. This is only my second time watching it, but like this time through, I feel like I knew the twists and so it was a little less enjoyable because of that. But I remember 
seeing it the first time and just being like, wait, what? Oh, really? You didn't pick up that was Christian Bale right away? No. Well, actually, that's what I wrote down. I'm like, I can't remember at what point I was like, oh, there's a few close ups early on that they linger longer before you can start to put it together. And I'm like, well, and I definitely see those this time around because I know that they're twin brothers right away. But I can't remember when exactly I figured out that because they don't I wrote down. I'm like, when are we supposed to know? Because I know the twist going in. So I'm like, where? what point in the movie are you supposed to be like, oh, they're brothers? I think it's right at the end. I think it's when the last time he's in yeah. jail and, and I, they're talking. That's supposed to be. There's the a reverse time shot through the bars where yeah. the camera for the first time holds on. Yeah. on yeah. Uh, what's his name? Fuller? Fallon. 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 Yeah. yeah, Fallon's face, and you can, you're like, wait a second, that's Christian that's Bale the time with they some, have like, the, cotton balls in his cheeks. They have the most prosthetics on him than for the rest of the movie, because the rest of the movie, he's a lot more clearly Christian Bale. Um, eh, I don't know about that. For sure. My friend, com- my friend complained. <laughs> I that, disagree. Well, most of the shots are like from behind. Yeah, or, like, you don't really see a his couple, face There's a couple like, in darkness and stuff. I don't know. I The first time I saw it, I was like, hey, it's Christian Bale. I wonder why there's two Christian Bales. Oh, Seems that like Anyone sucks. with a brain would see it right away. No, honestly, <laughs> I wrote it. I don't think I like this movie because I'm too smart. I think I just don't get it. I don't get what people like about it. Okay, well, let's continue to explain what we like about <laughs> it. Um, oh, it's hard. One of my friends complained that after knowing the twist, the subsequent watches aren't as enjoyable. But I've seen this movie a dozen times, and a I think it's, it's almost more enjoyable because you get to see, and this is kind of part of the narrative, you get to see how in your face the twist is the whole time. Yeah, there, There's absolutely. so much foreshadowing, and that is part of the narrative because... Um, part of his part of Angier's obsession is that he's just blind to what's right in front of him. Right, right. And people keep telling him. Cutter keeps telling him from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's a double. It's a double, dude. You do it. You do the accent. No, you just did it. That was <laughs> good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> There's no other way that the transported man is performed. It's a double. He keeps telling this. Multiple people tell him this. Yeah. He's like, no. And half the movie, Angier is like convinced that Tesla built a machine for Borden. Right. Right. But the first time that Angier ever sees the transported man being performed. There's no like electricity or Tesla crap on stage. It's just two closets. That's true. So why would he even think that? Yeah, it's that's only weird. later that they go to the expo and he sees Borden like watching the Tesla stuff. Yeah. And only later that Tesla gives him the cipher to his notebook and the cipher is the word Tesla that Andrew gets obsessed and he's like, oh, I have to get something from Tesla. Yeah. Maybe, but it's been know. right in front of him the whole time. He's just so blinded by his obsession. Right, right, right. You're saying that he, if he was using his brain, he would have realized, oh, there's no machine on stage. But then later he sees the machine and he's like, oh, that's how he does it. It's because the two characters have such different approaches to their craft that he just can't comprehend. Right. Even though Borden told him when they go to see that magician, uh, the Chinese guy with the big fishbowl, yeah. he told him right, th- he told them and the audience in act one. Yeah, he like, lives his illusion. You see that guy? Yeah. That's dedication. I respect that. That guy lives the illusion. He. This is his character. This is the trick. He right. walks around town looking like that. That never turns off. Indeed. He, he's telling all of us that. that. He's telling Andrew that. And Andrew, because Andrew doesn't operate like that, Yeah. he that doesn't was, see it. No, that, and, and that was one of the other things that I really liked about this movie is the difference in characterization between the two characters. Like, it would be easy to kind of make them both sort of these like success at any cost type of character, but I like that Angier is he's more showmany and he he's not maybe he's maybe not so skilled at like the actual technical aspects of it and like creating the tricks and being creative in that way, but he'll go out there and put on a good show. He's like a good showman. Whereas Borden is more interested in the nitty gritty of like, oh, I'm coming up with these cool things, but he's not as good of a showman. And uh, I like that kind of like 
that uh, tension there where it's like, why is he succeeding? Ah, I want, you know, I'm, that's, that's frustrating to me. And to me, throughout the movie, it kind of hinted that, like, Borden's approach was better and, like, he was more validated. Right. Because, like, he's the expert. He loves the craft. He lives it. And he's, he's the better magician. Yeah. Um, but then only at the end when Andrew's, like, dying, you kind of see the other perspective where Andrew says to Borden, like, you never got it. You've been doing this for the wrong reasons. It's mm. the reason we do this is for the look on their faces. Yeah. Is like to please the crowd. Whereas it seems like Borden's motivation is like to be the greatest, to be the best and, and the most like proficient. Technically. See now, this is interesting to me because as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that, well, I'm not realizing per se, but I'm being reminded of all the little things about the movie that I don't super enjoy. But at the same time, I enjoy the ride that the movie is. And I think that, Despite Nolan doing his Nolan thing here, which is like taking a bunch of scenes from different parts in the timeline and just kind of jumbling them together in like a weird order that it's just like, you got to figure it out. 146 times. There's 146 time jump cuts. It See, averages to like one per yeah, minute. That's It's just annoying. But like, I understand. I think it's so effective. though. It's I, so annoying. I think it is. It's effective in kind of giving you this like feeling of like what's going on i gotta figure out what's going on you are engaged as an audience member because you're being presented with all this information that it's not super easy to decipher except for big brains like david tiny brain (laughs) i don't get it (laughs) but uh that experience ends up kind of like drawing you in a little more so i think i appreciate the structure even though it personally annoys me but I think that's a good transition into talking what, because I, I don't want David to be sitting here the whole time while we're just like talking how great <laughs> the movie is. David, make your case, sir. Do we want to start with the stupid things? Like hokey, hokey things? Yeah, the things that you don't have. You have different just categories of I things have you don't like? two categories of gripes. There's <laughs> oh, like okay. the stupid gripes that are like, okay, it's not actually that big of a deal. Those are fun. Let's start with those. Sure. It is so coincidental that at both of their magic shows, they picked, they got picked at each other's magic shows to sabotage each other. That's just like s- stupid lazy coincidence yeah. for a movie. That's, I was like, ugh. And th- th- that's and, true. And However, a lot of time passes in this movie and like you always, they just throw lines where you're like, like you'll be like, oh, I've seen the transported man 16 times. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So maybe could, they're only showing us those it times. It could make sense that like out of 30 times or whatever, he gets picked once or something. I, I like magic, but in this movie, magic is super lame. And like you can say, <laughs> sure, that's like, period appropriate that like magic is lame back in the 1800s but Hugh Jackman's body is not 1800s appropriate so mm, that body's don't, not that don't work <laughs> he's, be that he's Hugh Jackman <laughs> Hugh Jackman yeah. what do you think's lame about you just don't like the rings like trying to put yeah, two rings together like, or something I don't know see that's so funny because it's uh, to me modern magic is kind of goofy and, and, and weird and this magic made it like more serious it made it like a like a life or death kind of situation is like high stakes but nowadays magic it's like we we've seen so much magic that and when somebody does a magic trick you're like all right yeah, yeah. I don't know, but, some cool but back then i like like getting in the to the mindset of the audience in the you know 1800s where it's like what bullet catch how do you do that yeah so some of the magic in this movie is whatever but like that trick, the, so the transported man, when he just walks to a door, falls down, and then comes out the other one, that, the angle <laughs> that the audience would see it in, like, they would see him drop. Like, that's so stupid and unbelievable that, like, oh, there's, like, uh, he can hide perfectly and not be seen. Like, that's just stupid movie stuff. Like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, I love this. Can the, I like, just say that this David is my favorite the, David? Like, the laboring David? <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the David who's, like, 
looking at these like tiny minutiae and just like James and I watch it and are like taken in by the by the uh, spectacle, right? We're like, yeah, we like I see that, and I'm like, the audience would probably see him drop down the hole. But you know? did like, you see him throw that hat? That would be hard, man. <laughs> that well, <laughs> that was also a hat seventy feet. That was, was another thing where I was throw. like, that's completely throw. unrealistic. No, He's not going to catch that's that. That's my hat. favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Man. But like I see that stuff and I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, I'll forgive it. And the part two where like Christian Bale like leans down and he like pretends to drop the ball when he's in prison and he actually he actually like uh, cuffs the guy to yes, the table or whatever. So I'm like, bad. I love that part. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a cheesy. Movie. It's a cheesy movie moment yeah, where it's totally. like, got your key, went down, got the thing, yeah. put, attached it. Like I had to undo mine, do yours, that in yeah. like a split seconds. It's like, okay, sure, he's a great magician, but like that's a stupid movie. No, but moment. it's it's great because he's. He's pretending to to screw up a trick. No, he's like, I like I'm, it on that I'm level. gonna do a trick. I get and that. And then he screws it up. And the guard's like, "Ha, you're a hack." I get it. Yeah, I know you get it, but it's, I think it's great. My thesis in terms of why I don't like this movie is I think the world is really unbelievable, and I can't suspend my disbelief long enough to engage with it. The world is unbelievable. I think this idea because of, of the teleportation. That's a huge part of it. I <laughs> I, I want to get there, but like, I have other questions that aren't that important. Like. I don't think I've ever eye rolled harder than when the theater person, the theater manager, whatever, is like, it's been so many years since I've seen real magic. See what? <laughs> so stupid. That was a magical moment. <laughs> I was oh like, ooh, has he, what has he seen? This world, maybe we need to get into right now. This world of like kind of our world, but magic is like so unbelievably stupid. But it's not. And they don't, it's, they it's, don't craft it. The problem is it's they don't commit shut up <laughs> they don't commit to this period this this movie is really lazy in its world building like things as simple as the props they use are like props like items that were created or invented in like like decades later in the 60s and the 20s and the 30s when you don't commit to world building on that level my brain can't connect. like what props yeah, like yeah, the yeah. beer glasses that that type of beer glass that's like made in the 60s the type of glass that they can't break through that's like that's created in like the late or the early 1900s which is decades after this movie and so like wait, lots wait, wait. of little You're talking about like the dunk tanks that they yeah can't that, break that glass couldn't have didn't exist when this like period is Do you just happen to know that i looked it up wait, uh, you were watching you're like wait a second no but no, 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 absolutely not. These are things I don't know. I don't know when these pint glasses are created, but what? the impression I get is that they didn't take the time to actually create this period. They're like, okay, uh, mood board, this stuff, this stuff, we need a pint glass, okay, go to a, a vintage store, get this, go get that. They didn't really actually think it out. And so when they ask me to suspend my disbelief and believe that Nikola Tesla can clone people with a fucking car battery... It's too stupid for me. I just can't engage with that. Where are you getting this car battery yeah, stuff Yeah, what are you from? talking about? These batteries are like the size of four car they batteries. They don't even like, show what? them. Yeah, they do. He plugs it in. It's like this big. So they you watch this the movie you didn't like very much and you're like, you know what? I would like my bias confirmed. And you just Google <laughs> all the things wrong with it. Uh, if I don't like it, I want to research why I don't like it. Wait, yeah, what's wrong with that? Wait, wait, wait. You can't. Okay. I, first off, I just want to say your feelings are valid. Okay. I I validate the way that you feel Stop about this movie. Stop it and come at me. <laughs> I'm glad there's a barrier between you right now. <laughs> I don't think it's valid to to look up a bunch of stuff, extraneous details after you watch the movie and then use that as justification okay. for why you let, didn't Let like me go movie. back to what I was actually feeling during this movie. Okay. This movie feels very modern. When you watch it, it is shot in a very modern way. It's not shot like a most period films where there's like no handheld, it's all natural light. Like there's yeah. there's some of that, but like this is clearly has the aesthetic of a modern movie, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. 
Um, I almost like, and that's I think what more bothered me. Those are like those things that I said. Those props are things that I found out after and confirmed the idea that they weren't committed to this period. So you're saying like the filming you can, style you can do that. should have harmony with the period that you're. I think so. I think that it's fair to ask that your movie has some kind of unison between all its elements. I completely disagree. You don't I think th- there needs to be a unison? Unity. So that you you mean like if it's in 1910, it has to be black and white. No, of course not. No, no, no. He's Come on, obviously like, I'm not saying. So there's, a, li- like there's a limit. Cinematography uh, tools and stuff. Like I, I I completely disagree that I think you can film any film in any period any way you want. <laughs> okay, wait. This movie asked Jesus, me take to, the wheel. <laughs> this movie asked me to suspend my disbelief too many times. The fact that no one realized that Fallon and Bowflex are the same fucking person <laughs> is beyond stupid. Why? Why? Why does he have to switch out with Hip's brother for his wife? Yeah, that's dumb. That's so stupid. Well, yes. <laughs> okay. Wait, 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 Tell wait, wait, me why that wait, wait. makes sense. So Someone to me, explain it to, to me. me. To me, that seemed to make sense because both of them don't want to be wearing these prosthetic things all the time. So I think the way that that's that made sense different. to me was that, okay, it's a bit of a process to get into the Fallon makeup or whatever. And because he's wearing like a bodysuit too. So, you know, they're like, all right, we're both going to live the same life because that way, you know, we can both kind of enjoy the, the the fruits of our labor and stuff in various ways. And we don't have to like, one is hiding behind the curtain and the other one's out in the spotlight all the time. Like that makes total sense to me. It was kind of annoying to me because I'm like, if you just work this out a little better, you know, you can have the guy that loves Sarah always with Sarah. But maybe, maybe that kind of came out, be, maybe it kind of developed that they both sort of enjoyed being in this relationship with Sarah at first, and they both kind of att- developed this attachment, but the other one developed, like, a toxic relationship, and the other one developed a good relationship. I don't think that's true. I think that it's, like, the movie's pretty clear, and, like, one of them really does love her, and one of them doesn't. No, because sure. she's like, today you love me, today you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with you, David. Um, it doesn't make any sense. If one of them really didn't want to be around her, they just would try not to be. But, but I could actually imagine a ton of times where you would have to be. Yeah. Like, if you went straight from the show, because... You can definitely concede that they both want to be on stage. A hundred percent. And I think yeah. that's the best part of that relationship. And if, you, and if you go straight from the show to like home with her or to dinner, then it, suddenly you have to like kind of play that part all night and then you go right home and then you probably have to bang. So yeah. it, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Although, yeah, I guess she's, if she's probably waiting backstage and crap in the, in the dressing room. Like, I don't oh, think man. the wife was ever waiting backstage because he was like secret secrets. You well, can't she, know. But, but knew, what though. I was confused about is how Olivia didn't know. How did Olivia, like, Olivia was backstage. Yeah. And they must have practiced the tricks and stuff. How would she never have seen (laughs) Borden? Yeah, it makes no sense. I hate this movie now. Well, they would have done that in their workshop. But yeah, what does she think is happening? What does Olivia think is happening in that trick? She's just like, he's such a great musician. He's just actually teleport. He's so much better than (laughs) Angea. Yeah, that's actually a great question. Uh, This is adapted from a book. Okay. So a lot you can't uh, the sins are all's th- forgiven. They originate earlier than Nolan and yeah, Jonathan. That's fair. Both Nolans. Um, I had, although I w- I've read the book and the movie's better. Okay. The movie is quite a bit better. I think the book is, is like the book just like chronological like straight. No, up? It, it has the pistolary thing going on, but it has other characters that aren't in this. So instead of Borden reading the diary in jail, uh, all the di- the diaries are being read by Borden and Angie's respective grandchildren. Oh, interesting. And interesting yeah like and like one of them calls the other one up and is like come to this part of england and like take the train over here and meet me even though our ancestors are rivals and um one thing that's way lamer is that 
instead of it just being like a clone that you kill, um, what happens? Some, something happens where there's like an apparition. There's like a non-physical entity of Anjay and they and they both exist. And then like over time, he becomes weaker and weaker. And then he tries to like meld them back together. And that's oh, when he dies. Dang, but dude. then some part of his spirit remains. <laughs> and that like haunts the earth and is like calling out to his grandchild. And then oh, his grandchild wild. like meets him in a... Like meets his spirit in a in a house or it, holy I think, crap honestly, in like a grave area. Or that something. sounds amazing. Sick. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not. It, it, I think part of my problem comes from the fact that this movie tries to be like grounded in some kind of reality and then has space magic as part of it. And I think that like if you if the movie had fully committed to fantasy, I would have been able to uh, accept this ridiculous pseudoscience or like fake science or whatever a lot easier than when it tries to be like look this is the real world this is a specific era this is a time this is real uh, and we can clone people yeah it's pretty much like completely real and tell this one thing yeah Yeah. and And like i I think that that bothered me as well and i think that i wrote down that i think that it would have been a lot better if they saved that duplication machine reveal until like way later in the film because as it is it's revealed like a little after halfway and if it was like one of the final reveals i think it would have been a little like i don't think it would have because it did bother me a little bit like it was like eating at the at at my mind a little bit i'm like that's kind of silly and cheesy but i do like the aspect of these illusionists trying and searching for like the next best trick and like trying to be the actual best and in order to do that they start meddling with forces they can't control i like that i kind of like that i don't think that i believe that that connected that idea connected with me in from this movie i like the idea that hugh jackman will pay any cost to beat christian bale and i think that works i have a question though like when hugh jackman first goes to tesla and he's like Make me a teleportation machine. And Tesla's never done it. He's like, you know what? I've never thought of doing that. But now that you've proposed this idea to me, I will create a teleportation machine. That's not See, what happens at all, though. What he happens? He, first of all, Hugh Jackman does not say, build me a teleportation machine. Build me the machine that He's, you built him. He says, build build me something fantastical. Yeah. And then, he, and then no, but Tesla says, I've already started building it. Yeah. Bu- I'm building such a thing. So it just so happens that it's a teleportation machine mm-hmm. and he's already... And that, that brought it, up and then it happens to be coincident, like work with the trick that that is already part of the movie. Like that's a crazy coincidence. Well, You're that, right about that. That brought up some questions for me though, because why did Borden tell him to go look up Tesla? I think it was just a red herring because he yeah. he also saw, saw him at the convention. There. That works for me. It's though. far away. He has to send him to America. Just get the hell out of here. No. So it was just coincidence that he saw Tesla at the convention, and then he's like, "Oh, Tesla," and he made that the key to his. Yeah, his diary. He made that then, whole false diary and then, just to and screw sends him. Angier to America. Turns out that Tesla is making the exact yeah, thing. Yeah, what bad chance? So, so the so the reason so the the possible universe in which that kind of made sense in my head is that Borden is not twins. He's duplicates. I thought I thought it was when I first started this movie again. I was like, oh, he must be like duplicated yeah, because yeah. of the machine. And then later they say, well, I don't know if he says. Does he actually say? We're twin brothers? They are. Yeah. They are? Okay. Well, in my mind, before that happened, I was like, what if he's actually duplicates? And he did go to Tesla. That'd be way cooler. And he had, he had a prototype of the machine working or something, and he makes a duplicate of him, but then he's like trying to refine it. I think that'd be mm. way cooler for the world building of the story and be a good <clears throat> reveal. But for the theme of the story where it's like good hard work versus obsession, yeah. it's like having it be your natural brother makes That's more sense. True. They're both obsessed, though. 
Yeah, but Christian Bale's the good guy at the end, and he's like, I was doing it for the craft, and the other guy's like, I was doing it for the fame. See, regardless though, regardless of the one guy, you know, going dark with it, and the other guy actually working hard or whatever, Borden's got a big leg up there. He's got a twin brother. <laughs> that's a key yeah. to to yeah. a to a killer trick. Yeah. So it's like that's not very fair, is it? Yeah, but there, Andre had that double root. Who actually can never figure out... It is Hugh Jackman. It is Hugh Jackman yeah, playing definitely. Root. It he is. a prosthetic. But thing. I think and it's really good. It's, it is it's oh, to the level I where agree. you have to Google it. 100%. I Googled it. 100%. I, oh, I didn't have to Google it, but I... It's got like an overbite. He's just, his nose is yeah, different. Yeah, well, like, I don't know. Ugh. I figured... I was like, there's no way that they find an actor who is that good at playing Hugh Jackman. I don't know. I think uh, the, that Hugh Jackman did a way better job acting as Root than he did as Angier. I did not like Angier. Oh, me neither. Like his performance. I didn't like Jackman's performance as Angier. It's kind of wooden and boring. And he's just like, I don't know. I don't think that Jackman can really pull off the I'm an evil guy type of thing. He's like, he's either a good guy or a kind of an anti-hero. I don't read that at all. I like him. I I don't know. I like his portrayal of him. And I like, I like his motivations. Like one scene that's really short that's, I saw this time that I was like, whoa, that actually says a lot about the characters right after his wife drowns. Mm. Like the next thing is a shot. This scene is like eight seconds long. It's Anjay with his head in a sink. Like, oh, yeah, like yeah. he's not trying to kill himself because if you really were starting to die from drowning, you would just fall. Like he would just yeah. fall out of the sink. He's just trying to like experience what she experienced or something yeah. like that. And like, what part of your grieving process is, is like, what are you that doing? That was kind of a cool I scene. I thought that was so interesting and said so much, but it, it just, you can miss it. You yeah. blink and you'll miss that scene. I like that uh, Michael Caine tells him that story of the sailor who drowned. And he's like, oh, it was like going home. It was nice. But then at the end when all the things have turned and he's like, it was agony. And then it's like yeah. a good kind of like adding depth to like the fact that he's killed a hundred of himself. I was like, that was a cool little Are you like, a adding. murderer though if you've killed a hundred of yourself? Serial suicide. For sure. <laughs> For sure. The word, of course you are. The only is yes. serial suicide. Please don't duplicate yourselves and kill yourselves, people. Please don't. I, I, like, I like what he does. I don't think he's too wooden. He's got a huge voice, man. I love when they're in the like mausoleum yeah. and he's like, which not did you try, Borden? And then he's yeah. like, you don't know? You don't know? His yeah, voice is so big and booming. Like, I, wow, he's just so good at intensity. He just, he just lacks a certain, like, interesting quality. He's just so vanilla, you know? And I'm saying this as a very vanilla white guy, you know? He's he's just, I would like a little bit extra, some some sort of defining characteristic that makes him a little more than, like, hey, we took a big, big Broadway star and put him in this movie, you know? I, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I agree I'm with that. I'm not trying to completely, I don't, I think he's a good actor I still. Think what I you're just saying is like, he's too perfect in a way. Yeah, yeah. There's no imperfection. There's no like Adrian Brody big nose. For like the dark he's character. He's too small of a chin. For That's the, Hugh Jackman's fella. <laughs> what? <laughs> Look at his chin. It's small. <laughs> Tiny chin. Like too Jackman. sharp, you mean? No, it's like, it should be down here. But it's up here. What do you mean it should be? <laughs> like you're saying, if you, put, if you put your finger underneath your lip, like the m- number of fingers you could stack there, he can just do less than yeah, you. Yeah, I think his lips are just a little bit small. They're, his lips are a little bit small. They're a little bit up. Man, I'm not coming at you, Hugh Jackman. You're so handsome. <laughs> and if I could look like you, I would be so and happy. And he's 16 will smash you. Jackman's uh, a great actor, but that chin can't do it. No, but I say that's his like defining thing where you're like, okay. Whoop. He's defined by his chin. <laughs> All right, enough of the chin. What were you going to say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm distracted. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. This movie, I think one of my big flaws is this movie feels really Hollywoody in a way that I don't think any other Christopher Nolan movies feel. Hmm. Uh, his movies, I think, generally have an identity. Even other movies of his that I don't love, like Inception, 
are like really stand out to me. But this movie, as soon as I like stop watching, is quickly erasing from my mind. It's because uh, it's too deep, dude. Probably. Honestly, I don't just get it. Like this movie, I think one thing it really fails to do, and I think this is a Hollywood problem, is that it fails to set scenes where it'll have a, a, a scene finish and then the next shot is a medium close-up of the next person in the next scene. Whereas I think uh, uh, what they should have done is taken a little bit of time to, for breathers in between and had like a wide shot, had some like physical action, mm. had something that like showed me what a space looked like. Yeah. Most of this movie... Like literally 70 to 80% of this movie is handheld medium close-ups. Shot, reverse shot, finish the scene, next scene, shot, reverse shot, medium close-up. So you're finding this like discombobulating, you don't know where you are or when? Yeah, and I just find it, it, it fails to, and like like I said about world building, I think this movie just fails to bring me into its world. And I think by having more establishing shots and yeah. more uh, wide shot acting, I would have been drawn in by the sets in the world and, and that's a yeah. that's a note I had as well. I think that's a problem with a lot of Nolan's work. He doesn't he really doesn't like those big establishing shots. Yeah. It's There's always just like he likes them if oh, they're the, really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if you were in Colorado Springs and we're like yeah. zooming in over this yeah. railroad and the mountains and the forest. But the stuff. the kind of shot that I'm thinking of is in like, you know, they there's a lot of them in like kids' movies where like the kid comes into a space and there's all these sorts of camera shots where it's like going all around the space and look over here and look over oh look over there and maybe there's like a follow camera as they walk through a space and you you can map it out in your mind but what nolan really doesn't like doing that he likes just kind of having like a little visual cue that we're in a certain space but we never really understand what that yeah. space looks like i found the part that really that kind of idea stuck with me was when christian bale and his wife every time they interact it's always just medium shot medium shot medium shot medium shot and i there, there's maybe one shot where you see the whole space but it's just one direction and i i struggle to feel like their house was real and i also honestly felt like i i struggled to feel like their relationship was real i feel like they fell in love off screen uh like i don't remember them like really sarah yeah having well, yeah, like this well, chemistry they have like a first date yeah and then they're just to or no he it, meets her and then they're kind of like together yeah it just jumps ahead and they're like living together and then after yeah. that they have a baby yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I think that's the second scene with them like as a couple and yeah. she says that she's pregnant it moves real fast yeah which yeah. is fine I get it it's based on a book there's lots of stuff to go through but I, I think that this movie kind of chose the wrong bits to keep in I feel like it chose slices of, very particular slices of life that I don't think are the best for connecting me emotionally to these characters like I, I just don't feel like I felt what C Christian Bale or Hugh Jackman were feeling ever at any point in this movie Mm. Yeah, I like the part with us talking about Hugh Jackman or Angie's feelings. The best part is when he's so obsessed that um, his stagehand Olivia, yep, she's talking something like, "Oh, your wife wouldn't do this. Your wife wouldn't want that." And he's like, "I don't care about my wife. Yeah. I, I care about the trick." And he just says it out loud, and then they both kind of stand there like, "Oh, that's a pretty decent moment." Damn. Yeah, but at the same time, it was like pretty, pretty cheesy. Like, like he has to say it's out kinda, loud, I don't care about my wife anymore because I'm so far along on my journey that I only care about this. <gasps> oh, I didn't realize. It's pretty on the nose, but I, <laughs> yeah. I liked it. I think, I think that's a, a problem that this movie has is it kind of alternates between really on the nose dialogue where it's like, I cannot follow you. Then I must go alone. Or like, I love you. Yes, you do today. Like there's like really bad simple like, dialogue. You're completely changing the delivery, but, but it's, yeah, it's the line. Yes, you do today. And then it switches to this hyper cryptic, super unrealistic 
uh, dialogue. Like when Christian Bale and his wife are arguing before she kills herself, she's like, I'm upset about something. And he's like, don't you bear be upset about that thing. She's like, but I'm still upset about that thing. And he's like, no, you don't understand how hard it is to be upset about that thing. And it's like, no, they would be talking about it at this point. Like they're, they're addressing this conflict that it's been an elephant in the room for probably a growing amount of years. And the fact that they're just cryptic about it feels like an artificial uh, scene to make the audience be like, oh, oh, and like throw us off guard. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really like that scene either because of uh, one particular line that she says, and I, it, it kind of like leaves things uh, mysterious. She says, I know what you are. Yeah. And I'm like... What, what, does she know that he's twins? Yeah, but like she it does. never really. I think she does. She and that's does. Why she kills herself that she's like realized this thing. See, that's dumb though because then she should have just said that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Or maybe, I don't think she's killing herself she because just, he's obsessed about magic. Or maybe she just like she doesn't know, but she thinks that, and she thinks that because she thinks that she's gone insane or something. Maybe she's not saying that though. Maybe she's saying, "I know what you are. You're an abuser. You gaslight me." Yeah. Or. That kind of You're makes mentally more sense. Ill but then why doesn't she like say it? Like it's just so frustrating that she this doesn't movie... have the language because it's 1899. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's not gonna be like. But it's not I know you, you are have, an abuser. It's not 1899. They have cloning machines. Like it's not a about? real period. This is a fantasy weirdo okay, movie. But just because you have duplication machines doesn't mean that like women's lib gets advanced like a century. I think she communicates her feelings really well in every other part she's of the trying. movie. She's trying. She succeeds. She's smart, smarter emotionally than Christian Bale is. I, you know what? I can maybe get behind what you're saying on the level of like how the characters talk in general. Like, I do think that there is a level of like modernity to how they're speaking. For sure. I, I think that in a lot of like period pieces around that time, you would see people kind of like more, I don't know, old timey speak. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the upper class people talk like that, like the people in the court and whatnot. I think something we can all agree on that somehow, even as a English person with a Cockney accent, Christian Bale's Cockney accent makes no sense. Wait, what? It is bad. Wait, what do you mean? Yeah, you know what's weird? That is weird because Isn't his it? default accent is it's cockney. Is kind of cockney. Yeah, and I for did sure. think that when I was reading that when I was listening to him speak in the movie, I'm kind of like, is he Wait, he's British, right? I think it's just I'm such like, a That cra- kind of sounds like an accent. Yeah, I think cockney accent's just such an intense accent that nobody can really pull it off. Maybe it's he, so like, hard. I think Maybe he's just doing one that you don't know. I think Christian Bale I, I'm not the only person that had that feeling. I think Christian Bale's accent is like even heavier in real life, like he's kind of like this, like blah, blah, blah. And then this one, it was like a little pared back. It was mm. like not as lower class. Fair enough. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. My question, and this is like more of like an actual in-universe fair to the movie question, because I've been a dick so far. I love it. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. So at one point, Hugh Jackman's like, oh, I don't know which one I'll be. Will I be in the box or will I be the one? Yeah, that it? part's awesome. That doesn't make sense. He's always going to be the one in the box. Like uh, well, he's he's always both. Yeah. Well, the the in, see that's the thing is that he's like I don't know whether I'll be the one in the box or the one on the on the every night he he'll be in the one in the box. Well, every he's night, not ever he's not teleported. Every night he's he'll just, be both. That's the thing is that. But he's not his, that him, his entire thing. And his he's entire, having a personal. He's no, talking about himself. No, no, no. The one that survives is like, whoa! I'm so lucky I survived. And that exact same guy. Is in a tank going, God damn it, I got unlucky, I'm in the tank. I think I would, ar- yeah. I, I would agree with you if like they duplicated and then, you know, they lived for a little while and then you could see like observable differences in how they do things. Yeah. But I think because the other one dies right away, there's no meaningful distinction to be made between the one and the other. They're both Angier. Okay. Angier dies and lives every single time he yeah, does but that, that. So then that question means nothing. Like it doesn't matter. He, he is no, both exactly. every time. So that line's stupid. But he doesn't know. He doesn't think that far about it. 
in his mind, he's always the guy who survives uh, yes. because only the sur- person yeah. who survives. He never goes gets forward. to experience the dying. Yeah, he, he's know, like, oh, am I going to be the guy in the box or the one who survives? Killed. I actually yeah. think that ending like speech when he's dying. I think you kind of like uh, bashed it earlier, but as far as like speeches that go when people are dying, it's usually pretty lame. I really like that mm. moment between them. You learn a lot. Of, you get a lot of character insight. You there. do. You do. I wish that. Well, it's kind of it's kind of almost too perfect as like a as an ending to the movie because it really just like sums everything up. You know, you didn't get it. It's about this. Oh no, you didn't get it. It's about this. Ah, uh, the themes of the movie. Yeah, I the find end. That, yeah, <laughs> I like the ending, but it kind of feels a little bit like a Rick and Morty joke where it's like they keep revealing more and more of like, ha ha, I got you, ha ha, no, I got you, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's it, not quite like that because it's kind of seems like that because Borden walks up and the whole movie they've been kind of saying, ha, I win. Mm-hmm. But now Borden walks up, Andrew's shot, and at first it's like, whoa, Borden wins? But then it's like, neither of us, look at us, man. We both lose. My brother's dead. You're dying right here. Yeah. Sure, I get to raise my daughter. That's cool. But <laughs> Thanks. Like, look what we've lost. Yeah. We're both losers here. David. I have a question. Okay. Yeah, no, please, please. Oh, I mean, I'm just going back quickly to something we mentioned earlier, which is that this movie is kind of an analog for a magic trick itself. Does that mean nothing to you with this movie? Like, don't you think that it's kind of cool how this movie is about magic and there's this sort of like, uh, there's a sort of setup where Christopher Nolan is the magician and he's saying something to the audience about how filmmakers create film and trick the audience into thinking certain things i liked in particular just for your consideration the scene where jackman uh where angier gets dropped down below the stage the first time that he does the the transported man successfully and he's there below the stage you know uh root is up on top getting the actual adoration from the audience and angier is down below behind the scenes like a filmmaker behind the camera getting the like pretending to receive the adulation of the of the audience who's actually cheering for the actor. Like, what do you think about Root being a stand-in for the, like, actual actors in film? And I really like how Angie... He's portrayed as a drunk and slovenly. Angier doesn't just, like, stand there below the stage and, like, listen to it and, like, hang his head. Yeah. He actually, he pretends he's upstairs. He closes yeah. his eyes, he holds his arms out of the side and, like, yeah. tries sure, to bathe in it. Is I that think not, that was such a good image. Is I, that not Nolan himself? <laughs> wow. My mind has changed. <laughs> my question is, why, why... I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to be a dick. I'm just in a bad headache. Um, why does the double betray Angiers? What does he get out of betraying him? Oh, Root. Yes. Root. Ah. Because that, that felt like, okay, yeah, they're building towards something, and then it just, the flip is switched, and he's betrayed. Maybe in the book it's more established, but that felt a little janky okay, to me. Okay, so the reason that he, so there's two of those scenes, really, where the first one, Root intentionally sabotages the act mm-hmm. in order to prove to that them he that the power. he has the that power and they me. should 100% pay him more. that works for me the second time he's not sabotaged so much as borden hangs him up and ties him from the thing that doesn't look like he meant to do that totally but i think that there was some wait wait, kind wait, wait. Of... it doesn't look like who meant to do what so the second time he's doing the transported man trick and instead of root coming out through the door borden comes out through the door and everyone's like oh what is borden and then root is lowered from the ceiling, tied up in in string, in rope, and it doesn't look to me like Root was down with that. Oh, really? Because to me, that seems completely corroborated. Like, he must have... They do that together or something. Does he look well, like he's suffering when he's tied he, up? He, does well, look, he doesn't look happy. He looks like he's hung. He's got like and a I, gag in his mouth I, and stuff. Yeah, I interpret it as 
Christian Bale was playing this game in order to get access to be able to to yeah. to, to do this. But at one point in that like transaction or whatever, the root rook root 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 would have had to consciously betray him to give him that access. And so I feel like they don't really dwell on that. So you can move past it. But I, I found that really confusing that he would at some point make a decision that turned against his yeah. own magic So act. it's either the case that Borden just ties the guy up and does it against his will, and we were never shown that, or um, Root just goes along with it and Borden like pays him or something like that. Uh, he must have paid him because it terminates his contract with the show. He's no longer going to be helping Angier. Yeah. Um, and we're not shown either of them, so I guess... It's the point is that Borden is like getting the upper hand again, so I guess it doesn't really matter That's how fair. we got there. It, to me, fair. it's it's pretty clear that it's implied that Root is a kind of a mess and a drunk and easily manipulated. He's manipulated by by uh, Angier to be the double for his thing, and then he's manipulated by Borden to betray him. He's just a drunk. He, like I, it would be easy for Borden to just be like, "Hey, uh, here's another little trick," and he's like, "Yeah, I'll let you backstage." Blah blah totally. blah, and then he gets knocks him out or something. Like the, the, I don't know. In regards to Roots, there's another line that really. I was like, this. they didn't really think about this line, did they? Uh, when Michael Caine's like, give me a month and I'll have him looking just like you. Yeah. Uh, that's Crocodile D. Michael Caine, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> give me a month, he'll look just like you. Like, <laughs> is he doing plastic surgery? Like, the guy already looks like him, like he's an actor. Like, it's going to take like a couple yeah, that, days. I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, give me a month. And I'm like, what you, are you doing? You, you did his hair. <laughs> Like, That's okay. it. No, he yeah. had to teach him his mannerisms, how to walk like a man. Oh, it takes a long time. Well, well, they said he's an actor. It takes a while to get someone's gait and everything. And I guess so. I, I mean, don't believe just, it. I just thought that was such a like. It was a, a little silly. They didn't really think about but it. But honestly, that was the, like. That's kind of a weird nitpick because it's really like it doesn't matter. I, you don't you just want Michael Caine to say a few days instead of yeah. a month or like a, a week. Few days. Give me a fortnight. Give me a few days in the Bobby. Okay, does this? This I might have just missed this, but I genuinely was wondering. So they explain at the beginning that Christian Bale ties that knot differently because it'd make a better trick. Why does it make it a better trick? That did bother me. That's really important detail. And I feel like, like this is glossed over. He uh, said it makes it a better trick. Well, why does he do it then? I think he just said that it's a it's a, like a stronger knot. He he likes the knot better. It's a better knot, but it's not suitable for that use case. So why does the wife go with it? I don't know. I think I honestly kind of, I don't, I don't find it to me. I don't find is, it unbelievable personally though. But this I, is. That okay. kind of just that stuff just kind of happens sometimes. You're like, oh, I don't care what you say. I like doing it. In bad movies, but this like I like doing it this way. But let me tell you what happens in the book, which is way lamer. In the book, Jackman and his wife are con artists doing a seance. They do fake seances. They have the room set up so they can like there's like a trick table. They can rattle stuff around the room. Oh, and then uh, they do it on one of Borden's family members, and he doesn't like that. So then Borden goes and gets it done on him. And he confronts them and ruins it for everyone at the table. Then there's a conflict and uh, Andrew's wife is pregnant and Borden pushes her and she miscarries. Oh, God. And I don't know if she dies or not. But the reason that it's just not as good is because this is like in the movie, it's it's on a stage in front of everybody and and it's more ambiguous as to whether or not he, Borden's responsible. Yeah. yeah. You know, like actively that. pushing somebody. Is, I yeah. like that. I, I I do, I came into this podcast wanting to ask you guys if that made sense to you because I can't remember the justification yeah. for why he wanted to try the knot. He, I knew that he thought it was a better knot, but they're like, yeah, but if it doesn't work, she'll fall and break her leg and that hasn't happened so far, yeah. so it seems like this knot is fine. It's just weird. Why are we switching knots? When, when two out of four of them are like, don't do this. Yeah. And the other one's like, but 
I want to. Yeah. No, and like if if they just have to give a line of like, oh, like it doesn't hold as long. Like we want to have the the thing hold longer on top. Like it doesn't take much. And I, I just think there like, is a line. He does say something. I forget what it is, but he says something like, "This is better." Or, it's stronger. There is some stronger, but it's not. I don't think it was satisfactory. Okay. Opinion. Clearly, if it didn't resonate with any of us, then yeah. it wasn't. good I enough. demand that you both take point one off your scores. Nah, I think that's what, fine. What I and I think it probably adds to his characterization where, like, he thinks he's the shit, right? Like, he, he thinks, I'm the best magi- uh, magician. I earn it, but I right. am the best. So he's one of those people It's like, everything that I do, I do for a reason. I have chosen to do this thing. So when someone else tries to tell him to do it a different way, he just disregards them. Right. What is the point of real magic in this movie? What, what do you mean by real magic? Like the duplication thing? Yeah. What's, like... What does that serve that they couldn't have like done something else? Out? I think like, it, I honestly think if they just took that out, I would like give this a seven. I think it shows the extent to which people will ignore serious consequences of what they're doing in pursuit of greatness or excellence or whatever. Yeah. To the question of how far will you go? Yeah. He gets to go supernaturally far. Right. He gets to kill himself. Sure. Who does he care about more than himself? It's like he gets you, to kill himself a hundred times. Would you kill a man to to be successful? Would you kill? yourself yeah. would you kill yourself a hundred times like it's like i like that kind of hypothetical mm. question made real here totally and I, I do like that as well i think that's probably the best thing about this movie is that question like and that visual of like all those tanks of him just floating there. and yeah. david really bowie powerful. david, david bowie great. rules best part. he's Why the best part of this whole about movie david bowie he rules I in this him. movie i completely man. disagree with you He's I I annoy he, he annoys me in this movie. <gasps> I think he's so awesome. <laughs> me too. He just has this slight accent. You're like, like who is that? I like I much. like the look. I like the, the way they look at make yeah. him look. He's got two different colored uh, that's irises. Realize. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's Bowie. Yeah, it's David Bowie. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, I like the way he looks in this movie. His accent annoyed me, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> His accent bothered me less than some of the other ones. It was uh, like uh, could have got at an accent coach or something. He's just Scarlett like, Johansson needed the accent is, coach. She's the, she hired everyone. Russian people talk just like this. It it's like me basically as much. a German accent. He's not even Russian, some, dude. He's Serbian. Whatever, same thing. To me, yeah. it was just like Sorry, I have a Russian slightly people. off accent. Yeah. I, it didn't bother me that much. I it think bothered me. I like David Bowie so much that I'm just glad to what see about the movie. Scarlett, you said offhand somewhere yeah. earlier today that she shouldn't be in this movie, and I was like, what? I love. She's great. It should have been. Again, this goes to like it feeling really Hollywoody is when every role is occupied by an actor I recognize, and I think that her role is really minor, uh, and she doesn't bring anything in particular to that role. It could be literally anyone playing that role and her accents distracted me occasionally it wasn't awful all the time she was fine her performance was fine uh but just her presence just like one more fracture in the immersion in the immersion okay good for you i like her i love scarlet (laughs) i love scarlet yeah and i like that character too and I like how that's played off where it's like, okay, I'm going to send you there, but he's going to know that I'm going to send you. So then you say that I know that you sent me, yeah. but then <laughs> he knows that you know that I know. Yeah, There's that like was a weird little... Again, uh, again she, she falls in love off screen though. And I think that's a big problem is like... So much stuff why, happens So much ha- stuff happens off screen. And yeah. so like you have to decide that you like this movie and be like, okay, this happened. I believe it. And I think that's, that's something that I'm not willing to do when there's fucking space magic. I wonder if the, the reason 1800s. for that is the prioritization of if, if you're paying attention to the extent they go to to manage your belief, like to all the foreshadowing and stuff at the beginning of the court scene, Cutter's like, hey, I can't tell you how this trick is done because I have the right to resell it on. And you're like, wait, why does he have that right? Because they're trying to convince us that Anjay's dead. 
And then things like when they have a baby or when, when Borden's wife says that she's pregnant, he's like, oh, we should have told Fallon. And you're like, she's like, why? I don't even know that guy. And then later on when she's about to kill herself and they're having that big fight and you think the dialogue is like just like unrealistically opaque, it's because their priority there is to to lead the audience into a, a certain degree of understanding where you know something's wrong, but you don't know yeah. what it is. So I think they just put a lot of attention into managing your discovery of the twists. Yeah. And they put that before, they had to make sacrifices in order to do that. I think at a certain point that stuff becomes really transparent in this movie where you can see that that's what they're doing. And I think that is a negative. I, I think it kind of like detracts from the experience. Yeah. Because once you can see somebody fooling you, then it becomes less fun. Yeah, I feel like even if this was one of the rewatches that I liked it more, because I've watched it and I probably would have given it a 7.5 before. Even this, if this was a rewatch that clicked with me more, those things prevent me from loving the movie when I really see the the handprint of the filmmaker trying to misdirect me. Do you guys think that a movie being... More enjoyable the first time and less enjoyable on subsequent subsequent viewings uh, is is a point to its detriment. That's a really interesting because question. this movie is without a doubt everyone who sees this movie the first time is like whoa what a ride you know what look at all those twists you know if, especially if you didn't see some of them coming. Um, but the second time around, knowing the twists, it undoubtedly makes the movie a worse viewing experience. I, so, I still find it uh, good, but obviously the first time you watch it is probably better. I don't know. I feel like it's a uh, two-sided coin because a corollary to that is that if it's better on repeat viewings, then it's like, well, so, you, there's, you never want to be like, I love this movie, and someone's like, I saw it. It kind of sucked. And you're like, no, no, you have to watch it again. <laughs> They're like, no, I don't. Well, you know, I'm one of those guys. Like, uh, honestly, every time I hear you guys say that you've watched a movie like 12 times, I'm like, what do you what do, what do you mean? What do you mean 12 times? 12 different occasions you've sat down and be like, I'm going to watch The Prestige. I've probably seen this movie 6 or 7 times. Okay. To be realistic. But still, 6 or 7 I I've, I've seen this movie once well, and I remember really liking it, but this is only my second time watching. So, I am of the opinion that it's almost like you shouldn't rewatch movies unless you have like a real craving to watch it and you think that it's good enough to warrant a second watch. When I'm browsing, I want to watch something good and I'm more likely to watch a movie I know I loved three years ago than to click on something I've never seen the trailer. It's just like a tile on Netflix. I've never even heard of it. See, that's so I, weird. When I'm browsing, if I'm going to watch something new, I have to at least have like heard of it. But that's... that. Okay, now we're getting... Because I've heard of the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is... This is... This is confusing to me because I feel like you are a person who enjoys novel experiences and seeks them out. I don't want to waste my time with crap. Now, I might change my mind a bit because I've heard actually people changing their behavior with Netflix where, you know, usually I've been all in, but now people are starting because there's no switching cost. You might just be like, I'll watch the first 10 minutes of this movie and then I'll just turn it off and go back and I'll just watch the next 10 minutes of something else. I hate that. I think I might start doing that in my life, but so far switching costs have been high. You know, I had to go and buy this movie or I went to the theater. So you're, yeah. you're kind of all in. I think there's a joy, too, to rewatching movies when you want to gather more information on, like, what that movie is. Because, like, the first time you watch a movie, you can only handle so much information. And, there, like, the information density uh, in a film is incredibly high. Like, there's stuff to watch. There's stuff to yeah. listen to. There's there's words to dissect. There's, there's subtext. movements. There's subtext. And yeah. so the more you watch the movie, the more of that stuff you can get. And so... I think it's a point towards movies if the more you watch it, the better it gets because there's more depth to Definitely. Uh, grab on. And I agree with but that. Like in this one, I only noticed at the end of my seventh watch where I was like, 
whoa, in the f- opening scenes, when Cutter's explaining how magic tricks works and he's doing the the trick with the dove and the... He kills a bird. He's doing it to the little girl. I'm like, he's doing it to Borden's daughter. Yeah. We see Borden's daughter, Jess, like an hour later, and I never... At that moment, you're all like, hey, that's a girl from the beginning. Right, Because right, she right. was no one to you at the beginning. She was just a random little girl. Yeah, And yeah. I was just like... It's so all in front of us, just like the magic trick he's explaining. We can see all the pieces the did whole you, time. Did you think about the fact that he killed a bird for that? I was like, D- he, no, he's using the apparatus that doesn't kill the bird, isn't he? No, the, the apparatus that doesn't kill the bird requires that whole harness on the back, and, and stuff. that's what retracts. Yeah, he, in that demonstration, he's just, he just crushes the, it with right with the curtain. And I'm like, so wait, he just <laughs> killed a bird just for that girl? Like, hey, I can understand killing the bird for, like, a big audience He or just something. got her from the workhouse. He's trying to make her feel okay. There's a whole wall you know of birds behind him. You know what'll brighten her day? Murdering an animal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that at the beginning when uh, Christian Bale does that trick, or he's assisting for that trick, and the kid's like, he killed the bird! Yeah, he killed the yeah. bird! And you're like, what? No? And then you're like, oh, wait, they actually did oh, kill the bird. Oh, he did kill oh. the bird. And, <laughs> oh, what a great parallel to Hugh Jackman <gasps> killing himself to make the trick. I mean, obviously, that that one's obvious, but I, I think I really appreciated that. I actually it, never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at, at some point he's like, no one cares. At some point they say something about no one cares about the bird in the box. They only care about the bird that, that you show them afterwards. And then at the end of the movie, Angier says, no one cares about the man in the box. Indicating then that to kind of draws a direct parallel between him and the bird that is like killed in the bird trick. Anyways, I have a an Amazon one star review of this movie. I wish I could like show you guys the punctuation because it really adds to how excellent this is. <laughs> so the unlovable original killer wins and gets to live. This passes for excellent. Not in my mind. Evil should never win. Pathetic. Pathetic. <laughs> Unbelievable waste. Eye roll. Oh man, how where are you finding these? Amazon. We're People remove <laughs> review movies on Amazon, like if they buy it or something. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> what the I hell? Hey, well, that, that makes total sense. Somebody who yeah. would buy the DVD for this movie on Amazon would go and leave a review, being like, "It doesn't. It's a bad movie because there's bad people." There, there was another kind of pattern I saw in the Amazon reviews with the audio being bad. And I mean, I watched it on Google Play. I didn't like watch it on Amazon, but I found it really hard to hear the dialogue. I turned it up to like like 30, 40% higher than I normally do. And I yeah. still have to like, I ended up turning on subtitles because like not just the accents, even the ones without accents, I just like the mix was off or something. Oh, did yeah. you guys find that? What I did find, and I found this with Interstellar as well. So I actually think it's a Nolan thing. You know, that whole like, like loudness debate mm, and dynamics dynamic. debate. So on both of these movies, I found that if I turned it up to a degree that I could clearly hear the dialogue, the loud bits were loud. Yeah. And my wife was like, turn it down. So I, oh, I got the to the worst. point where it's like, anytime I see a Tesla machine, I have to turn it down. Yeah. Yeah. But man, when it was loud, that crackling lightning sounded sick. <laughs> so like, I get it. He's making his movies for the IMAX experience. Yeah. Yeah. And if I don't have a kid in the house, I'm not going to wake up a neighbor or live in an apartment or something. I would just leave it at that volume the whole time. It would have yeah. been great. Right. But it is kind of annoying. I kind of wish that he mixed it like all the other Blu-rays or all the other digital ones because it's annoying that that's his movies are the only ones that I have to play that game with. David, did you watch this on a laptop too? No, unfortunately I did okay. not. Because I, I watched it on the 12-inch iPad Pro Oof. and the sound was great. You get to hear that dialogue? I didn't have to. You don't know great sound, man. I had this like... Look, I've 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 seen movies in theaters by, by my I parents had have a whole home speaker, theater thing. The crackling of the Tesla yeah. machine was only in this one speaker to my left. It was just kind That's of in the cool. background. And it was like... You have surround. And it was so sick. Uh, I will, I've, look, I've experienced surround sound, okay? I, I know what I'm missing here, guys, all right? The I just, texture. <laughs> 
Man, that effect, the lightning effect, that doesn't hold up. It looks like, uh, did you guys ever see the Canadian TV show called Mentors? No. It was like a show where this nerdy kid would bring people back from the past and like there was like a lightning effect. This is like, like young adult like historical that. fiction. Oh, it's children. You thought the it's lightning looked bad? Looks terrible. I thought it looked fine. Some of the close up on his face but they're like adding oh, the like sure. see through. Ooh, well, boy. And some of the like the. It, it gets like, pulled yeah. and tugged. It like pulls yeah. at his skin. I actually thought it looked good. Yeah, it looked fine. I don't know. It looked like otherworldly. Sheep. Sheep. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> hey, why don't you read out a review for this podcast? Yeah, Sujan Prabhakarna uh, rated us five stars. He nice. says, Thank you. David, James, and Riley really go in depth and find every nook and cranny in every movie. They have great insight, even if sometimes I don't agree with their opinions. David. This is a great <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Sujan. You saw that coming. Wait, are we only going to read reviews that talk about how great we are? That's we all they are. We should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We're only ones. No. no other choice. I don't want to incite the audience to oh, give us true. low star reviews. Okay, guys, here's the thing. Give us a review. I hope it's favorable. But even if you you can say bad things about us <laughs> with a high star rating, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me. I don't think I'm allowed to do this like iTunes t- terms yeah, I of service. Yeah, I think this would be fraud, maybe. But like, <laughs> if I can just read out a review that... You know, <laughs> if you rate us five stars and give us a horrible review, we'll read it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Just Hopefully. slander us in a five star. I want some <laughs> constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that way it'll go to the top. That's how it works. I think the more stars, it floats. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> they're more buoyant. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, they're in space after all. How do you think they? Anyways, <laughs> well, I want to put this behind us. I've already done it. I love you, David. I love you guys too. I'm sorry. I was too mean today. You were a little to. rough today, David. Yeah, I'm You're sorry. You're full of piss and vinegar. That's <laughs> yeah. what my grandparents used to say it when I lived in that rural area in Alberta. Seems real. I totally get what you're talking about, though. To be to, to be fair, I think I just enjoy the experience of the movie. Totally. And I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought you were a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great movie. You know, the, the, here's the thing about Nolan movies. A lot of them are kind of gimmicky. You know? Yeah. It's like there's a dream thing or we're in space. This one doesn't really have any of that. And it's well, just the, on the craft, and I'm just into it for that. The game, I feel like this one's definitely gimmicky. The gimmick is magic. Yeah, it's it's magic. It's magicians. You know that phenomenon of twin movies where it's like Parent the trap. Prestige came out in 2006. It takes two. And then The Illusionist also came out in yeah, 2006. Yeah, oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never watched The Illusionist. There's a list. There's a Wikipedia page like Red Eye and Flight Plan in 2005. Bugs, Bugs happy Life, Happy Nance. Feet and that yeah. other penguin one. Madagascar. <laughs> no, not Madagascar. Two Beowulf movies. Surf's so, Up. No. It's so weird. That oh, that I think happens. it is Surf's Up. Yeah. With Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Our next movie will be Shia LaBeouf. It's a monologue. What will our Running next in movie the forest do? from Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Have you seen that video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so good. Human cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Actual cannibal. <laughs> what yeah. the hell is this? You haven't seen it? Turn this off. <laughs> Thanks okay, for watching, wait, guys. No, no, we no. love you. I need to let the audience know what to Google in order to get the reference. Okay. Rob Cantor. If you're listening to this, Google Shia LaBeouf live. Rob Cantor. Highly recommend. C-A-N-T-O-R. Great video. So good. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> well, join us next week. For something. I probably something won't be here. good. Maybe a uh, riley this week. We'll try to find someone cool to sit there. We'll find out. Not as cool as Riley, though. But I'll be thinking of you. And Shia LaBeouf. See you later. <laughs> roll, oh, roll the same credit music as the movie, that awesome Tom York song. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about that. I made a note. I was like, this is so weird. Oh, Why is it like yeah. such a serious movie? And at the end, it's like Radiohead. It's that, like a contemporary song. I don't know. Yeah, but just, equally weird. It's kind of fitting. 
Royal no, I, the tone is kind of with it, but like I thought it was so weird because it was like, hey, you're in the 1800s, all of a sudden, boom, Radiohead. What? Oh, we were in the 1800s? Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, now that's the end. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>